What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, previously on Gear 30, we laid out our Mount Rushmore of ski suspension. And now, Lou Kappa and I are moving to the opposite end of the spectrum, and we're going to be talking today about the poppiest skis that we've ever been on. So in this conversation, we are going to define some terms. We're going to talk about some of the general characteristics that can help make a ski more poppy. And then we are going to work our way through a whole bunch of skis. So check this one out and then let us know what skis you think are most deserving of being on Mount Rushmore. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by our blister-recommended shop, Powderhound, in Girdwood, Alaska. And while Powderhound is a kick-ass ski shop, and you can check out a couple of the conversations that I've had with Powderhound owner Eric Helmbrecht on this here Gear 30 podcast, we'll include a link to those conversations in the show notes of this episode, well, Powderhound is also a kick-ass, full-service bike shop that is right at the base of the Alieska Resort Downhill Park. They have a lot of available bike rentals, from trail bikes to DH bikes to e-bikes, and they are now selling one-wheels and all of the one-wheel accessories. So now you know that you can go get your one-wheel on in a K. Powderhound is open daily from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., so be sure to stop in if you are in the Girdwood area. And you can also check them out online at powderhoundak.com. And with that, let's now talk about pop. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am here in Blister headquarters with Luke Knoll. Wait, was it Luke Knoll? I think that's what they said. I am Trey Elling. It was kind of funny. Somehow today, two different media outlets <laughs> both tried to drop, uh, one tried to drop Luke's name. And first of all, they messed up because they didn't just call him Sexy Luke, but they went with Luke Knoll. And then another outlet uh, talked about my recent interview with Doug Chadwick and called me Trey Elling. I don't know. I think Trey Elling might be an upgrade for me, but I think I like Luke Coppa better than Luke Knoll. So anyway, Luke, I started to ask, you know, if you've eaten any food today as I was going to sound check you, but then I remembered like the people like to hear about Luke's recent trends. diet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what have you had today? I have had an egg sandwich. Um, I I can't remember the last time we talked about my diet. I'm guessing I was still eating noodles all the time. I've since moved on to toast with eggs, hmm. sometimes cheese, a lot of sriracha usually. Um, and the big splurge has been getting fairly nice sourdough bread for the toast. And honestly, I'm kind of getting sick of the taste of sourdough. I've never been a huge fan of that in particular, but I like the structure of it. It's a lot more supportive and just larger than most bread you'd get by the loaf in a store. Um, And like I do the eggs uh, over easy. And so like 
the hollow spongy nature of sourdough is great for like absorbing the yolks afterwards. Wow. Um, yeah. So a lot of, a lot of thoughts been put into it, but I feel like I need to find a bread with similar structure, but a less sour taste. So you've said before we started recording, when I was sound checking you that you're like, you've been splurging and getting a mid grade or mid-level yeah, sourdough bread? Yeah, well, Clarkson CV has like, I think they have loaves that are like $10 and there's no of sourdough? Yeah. But they also have like like the $3 ones, I think, or three or four. And I've been getting the one that's like five to six because um, the cheap ones, they don't have that structure I'm looking for. And the expensive ones, I just don't get the point. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah, mid-range for me. But for I'm now. trying to figure out, though, I've given up sourdough bread for a while i've kind of just given up bread for a while conducting a little experiment here the sourdough at clark's that i like most is i think it's beehive it's like a clear with like a purple light purple or violet oh is label. it it's pretty soft yeah yeah i've had that i i that i ditched that one because <laughs> you want a firmer yeah i need a more uh, substantial piece of bread for these sandwiches because i'm usually making it with three eggs um and i don't want it to just collapse okay so it is currently 5 20 p.m and the one thing you've eaten today is a three egg egg sandwich yeah well i'm going home next week and i'll be at a lake so gotta gotta make up for all the beer i drank during the fourth weekend (laughs) okay well anyway thanks for the latest and then but you said you're gonna probably after this go eat another egg sandwich yeah i'm gonna go for a bike ride then probably make the same thing i'm trying not to i'm trying to use up whatever groceries i have right now so it's either that or instant mashed potatoes (laughs) perfect yeah this is this is what the people needed to know all right and with that i think it's time to segue into our next edition of the Mount Rushmore of fill in the blank. And here, you know, we really need to give proper credit because after our last episode where we did Mount Rushmore of ski suspension, we received a comment on the Mount Rushmore of ski suspension episode. Uh, I believe it was Carl. And Carl wrote actually a very good comment. And Carl, this episode is for you. And because of you, what was the comment, Luke? What did it say? Uh, Carl said, I'd love to hear the same discussion on the other end of the spectrum. Energetic, lively, poppy, etc. How they relate to each other and to the dead slash damp slash plush end of the spectrum. So, our work today, we're going to define some terms. Poppy, lively, energetic. Those were the three specific words that Carl used. Good words. Let's just start there. Poppy, you and I, Luke, have been talking more about poppy and energetic, but do you view all three of those terms as synonyms? Yeah, as far as how I use them, yes. I use poppy, energetic, lively pretty much interchangeably. I can't think of many, like, I guess I can think of a few exceptions where pop stands on its own a little bit. But for the most part, I think of them as very much synonyms. Yeah. I used to think of poppy and energetic differently, but then you've created a pretty smart 
taxonomical system that we'll get to in a minute. And it structured in this way that you're going to explain. I actually think it's more accurate to see poppy and energetic as synonyms. So have we defined this yet? Uh, the definition I came up with as a general term was the amount and the characteristics of the rebound that a ski creates when you bend it. I'm not mad at that definition. So you say the amount that is kind of obvious. Like we talk about getting kind of rocket shipped out of a turn quite a bit, right? Kind of just getting exploded out of a turn. So that's what we mean by amount. What do you mean? Why do you also have and the characteristics of the rebound? What's what's the difference? Yeah, I think there's there's certain skis that produce what I'd call a lot of pop, um, which is probably to say a lot of force. But there's also like, I feel like certain skis produce, I guess what would, I'm sure some engineers could talk about this in a better way, but like a lot of pop just once or like <laughs> I'm thinking of like uh, wave graphs right now, like high frequency versus low frequency, high amplitude. But yeah, basically I just use characteristics because there's, I feel like there's subtleties to how different skis rebound and it's not just how much energy you feel coming out uh, of the ski when you flex it. Okay. And let's maybe take a second to talk about when we did, you know, the Mount Rushmore of ski suspension, where we were talking about like what makes a ski damp or what makes a ski plush. I mean, they're basically, it seems like if this is supposed to, if that's supposed to be the opposite end of this spectrum, there we're talking about skis that have a really kind of slow rebound or a very muted rebound and just stay planted, right? I mean, how do you want to define the opposite of this conversation? Yeah, I think the part of it is like there are skis that I would say are quite damp, but I would also call them fairly poppy. And I think it's all about controlled rebound. Like if you really want to say like, lean into a ski and get it to rebound in a consistent manner before a jump. I feel like there are damp skis that can do that quite well, but what you don't want is a ski that is rebounding a lot really fast when you're going through choppy conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I would say, I mean, it is, it's intuitive to think of them as kind of opposites, but I wouldn't say they're mutually exclusive. Yeah. Do you think that, when you're talking about some skis can be pretty damp or pretty plush, but also kind of poppy, or you can get there on the pop. Do you think the biggest element then is you just have to preload those skis more or be more kind of aggressive in loading those skis? Yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, you got to be more deliberate with it, but it is possible. Yep. And yeah, you, I guess, yeah, yeah, you can have a bit of both, but generally heavier skis are, to most people, are not going to feel as poppy as lighter skis, and lighter skis are generally not going to be as damp as heavier skis. Right. So, nice segue into our next topic here. Like, let's talk about some of the general characteristics that can make a ski feel more poppy than less poppy. So, 
this is one of the drums we bang all the time on blister like yeah you go heavier on the ski it's usually going to feel more stable more planted etc you go lighter and that thing is going to be usually livelier or sometimes twitchier but let's just go through a few of the characteristics of a ski design that you think tends to contribute to a poppier or more energetic feel yeah for me the biggest one is the flex pattern of the ski and i think that's also uh as we're about to get into why poppy the poppiness energy of a ski is i think more subjective than suspension because i think certain skiers depending on their height weight and skiing style are going to find certain skis quite poppy and others not so much and other skiers might feel the opposite and i think a lot of that comes down to the flex pattern and how much a given person is able to bend the ski at various speeds um so that's the that's the main thing for me um a few other things that come into play i think uh camber i would say generally a ski with some camber is likely going to be more energetic than the equivalent ski without camber or reverse camber that said i would not say there's a direct correlation between the amount of camber underfoot and how poppy a ski is like we i've been on i think there are a few skis on this list that only have a a couple millimeters of camber underfoot that we measured but they're still really poppy and on the other hand there are skis that we've tried that have 10 millimeters of camber underfoot and are not that poppy um but i think it's consistent that reverse camber skis at least to me generally feel less energetic than uh cambered skis yeah and we're going to talk about either one exception to that rule or what we think is probably or not really probably definitely the poppiest reverse camber ski we've ever been on anything else in terms of specific design characteristics i think the the side cut of the ski um both referring to the uh, the shape, particularly tips and tails, if they're super tapered, um, I feel like it's often more difficult to bend a ski, especially if you're trying to bend it while carving. Yeah. And in a similar vein, skis with tighter side cut radii, they're generally easier to engage and easier to carve hard. Um, and so that's, it's kind of more just a way to aid in uh, your ability to bend the ski easier straighter skis you're not going to be able to get them high up on edge and bend them really easily at slow speeds um, so that's another factor and then just the core construction of a ski um, and it's that's something that's i think a lot more difficult for us to judge because we don't get to ski an identical ski with a slightly different construction very often but i feel like that's got to play into it and especially playing into the the flex pattern of the ski okay but if you were you know, if we were going to design not maybe one of my personal favorite skis where we would probably be going heavier, a bit stiffer, going for that more plush ride, but we were going to, in fact, just lay out and build a really poppy ski, what would you want to do for construction? I, yeah, I mean, it's, tough i would i mean i'd put some carbon in there yeah. i generally associate that with a snappy lively flex pattern 
it wouldn't be super heavy. I definitely wouldn't have Renown's HDT technology right. in it because <laughs> um, that eliminates vibrations. Yep. Yeah, so I think not too, not very heavy, some carbon in there. I'm thinking maybe poplar core carbon stringers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about the skis that have been on my list and that I think is used in several of them. Um, yeah, I probably wouldn't go with like a really heavy wood core like Asher Beach, um, though that could result in a poppy ski. I think it would just be different and then you'd probably have to ski it a bit harder before right. it produces a lot of energy. But basically a lighter wood core, another one, like it's not going to be maple, right? It's not going to be maple or ash, but I'm thinking poplar. Yeah, it's in the name. <laughs> it's in the name. What are you going to do? And then weight-wise, I mean, if we're talking about, say, an all-mountain ski in like a 184, 185 centimeter length, thinking over under 2,000 grams. I'd say it could be, if we want to make it as poppy as possible, it could be anywhere from, I mean, for my preferences, 1,900 to 2,100 or so. Yeah, I'd say that's a pretty... Otherwise known as over under 2,000 grams. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right, let's do this. Um, first thing we're going to do is go through your actual Mount Rushmore. And then we're going to kind of break things down a bit more narrowly, but we'll we'll go ahead and see what four skis you came up with here. All right. Well, yeah, I'll provide the caveat that these are very subjective and I think more so than the suspension Mount Rushmore, I had a harder time coming up with the clear top yeah. four um, because these skis differ. I mean, we're considering everything from narrow piece skis to powder skis. And as we'll touch on in a bit, the how poppy a ski feels can depend on, on, on a few things. Yeah. With that said, um, my four were the DPS Alchemist Cassiar 79C2, which is also known as the trainer. Um, It's since been discontinued, but one of the most energetic skis, that was was like one of the few clear ones that came to mind. That was on my list. Yeah, and I think we had it in like a 167 centimeter or something like that. It was also really short. But yeah, that was a ski that they designed as a piece ski um it didn't have like i mean more rocker and tip and tail taper than most similarly skinny skis but very tight side cut radius hand flexed fairly stiff actually like most of the alchemist skis but i think since it was so short and it had that tight radius you could bend the crap out of it and yeah it produces just tons of energy that ski was awesome at what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of those times where it's like, it's a really distinct ski. And I think it's like the company built exactly what they said they were going to build. Yeah. I mean, if anybody wants to just have fun on piece, see if you can find a pair of those floating around. Um, but that was, I don't know. I mean, that was probably one of the more like unique and interesting skis that just kind of really stood out right Mm -hmm. i mean do you agree like in recent some recent years yeah i'd say like yeah it was very different and kind of like the 
super lightweight predecessor to the line blade. I guess you could kind of think of it that way, even though they're pretty different. Okay. What else did you have on your list? Next up, I had the previous generation. This would have been, I think, 17, 18 through 1920 Elan Ripstick 106. Um, the latest version that we just posted a review of, still very energetic skis, but I do think the previous ones, which felt a little bit softer, felt more energetic to me. And I, it's a close call with the original black edition of that ski too because they had that version i think the black edition i'd call slightly more energetic overall but that was always kind of the defining characteristic from from the first days sam uh sam sheen and i got on those skis and the new ones are still quite poppy but i'd say the originals for how i ski felt a bit more energetic and that's just one of the main things that made them stand out when i was on them Mm -hmm. yeah again it's probably important to put the caveat that like while i can really appreciate energetic poppy skis i tend to just personally veer a bit closer to the other mount rushmore that we did and so frankly like and and this is more your mount rushmore right so the last one was more mine this is more yours but a ski that really still stands out for me is the Nordica Hellenback, which, man, I'm trying to... I mean, that ski predated the whole resurrection of the Nordica Enforcer line. So we're going back like eight, eight-ish years? Yeah, somewhere around That's there. crazy. But um, for anybody who remembers the Nordica Hellenback, first of all, when we talked about you don't... If you want to make a really poppy ski, don't introduce a ton of tip and tail taper. That ski had like a triangle for a tail. And like no, no tip taper. And it was a pretty stiff ski. I don't think there was any metal in it. I don't think there was. So a pretty light, pretty stiff ski that you could rail, absolutely rail. And when it was time to get out of that, like a sustained turn where you're just loading that thing up, you would basically just get shot across the groomer and like land on the other side of the groomer. And um, yeah, I, uh, I still haven't, I still haven't skied many skis that just felt like you were literally being shot out of a cannon. Um, So, and we're going to, again, so somebody who wanted to get on that Helen back and just ski it at like more mellow speeds and not really loading it might not have this reaction but we're going to get into this, I think, and refine this in a minute. Yeah. So I've got DPS trainers on there as same with you. And then I want to, um, I want to put the Helen back on there. Where are you going next? Um, next one, I, I was kind of juggling a few options all from the Fisher Ranger line. Um, the top two were the Ranger 99 TI and the Ranger 94 FR. For me, I thought the 94 felt a bit poppier, mostly because it felt a little bit softer. Both of them are actually pretty stiff skis, but I feel for me, it was easier to get energy out of the 94. Um, whereas the 99, there were there were moments where I was like really pushing it, mostly on groomers, where it I think it produced more energy when you did that. But as an all-around ski, I think the 94 is, yeah, very energetic ski. 
um, and it's different than a lot of the others that I was thinking of because it's not very soft at the ends, um, at least hand flexing it. But on snow, I was able to flex most of the ski, and that's a case where thinking about the construction of the ski, like it has a little bit of metal and then a good deal of carbon fiber and i think it's a poplar core with maybe some beach underfoot but yeah overall really energetic fun all mountain ski i think for my next one and i i really doubt this ski actually deserves to be in the top four like all time most poppy but i still want to mention it because it's a bit opposite of the hellenbach the Nordica Hellenbach that I just mentioned. Shout out to the Line Sick Day 104, which is a really poppy ski that is also really easy to ski, and it's poppier at more mellow speeds than that Hellenbach. And um, so this is more just going off of like, I'm literally thinking about all the hundreds of skis we've reviewed over the years. And uh, I mean, like, I think everybody, all of us at Blister who've been on that sick day 104 from Sam Shaheen to you to, you know, to me, like a bunch of folks were like, this ski's really cool. There was just a really nice blend. But yeah, I think it's maybe making my list as kind of a, it's kind of the opposite of a Nordica Helen back, but still poppy and fun and easier going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good job. Sick day 104. Yeah. On that note, like for my top four, I knew I had to include some line ski because i i don't i can't think of any skis that i've been on from them that i wouldn't generally describe as being poppy i mean if we went back to like the supernatural 108 yeah i never skied that okay yeah i mean line you know they made the supernatural 108 they made the mothership maybe the least poppy ski of all time i saw one of those at cb this year yeah <laughs> sweet yeah me too they had their influence 105 and 115 those are very cool skis but not poppy but you go away from those and yeah i think as a as a trademark characteristic m- many many line skis kind of would you say almost more than any other brand if you had to generalize here? Yeah, at least in my mind, they're, yeah, they're a brand that I think is defined by making poppy skis, at least since they've kind of moved away from the supernaturals, haven't done really skis in that category since. Yeah, I would say more than any brand I can think of right now, um, they stand out as... Yeah, making really fun, energetic skis. So all that is to say, there are several that I could include here depending on kind of what sort of pop we're talking about. But I put down the line Sakana, which I know will be kind of controversial controversial because I know Sam Shaheen actually did not find the at least the 174 centimeter length to be very poppy. And I think this comes down to flex pattern. He was probably just flexing it hard or like he probably just should have been on the longer side mm. size i'm guessing but for me that's a super energe- energetic ski it has that fat minimally tapered tip not very stiff up there really tight side cut radius um basically no taper at the tail basically all the ingredients that go into making a poppy ski um it also might help that for the past couple years i've been skiing it with tech bindings on the resort um and usually either skiing perfect corduroy before the lifts open or like soft 
court, uh, soft groomers at the end of the days and there's no one around so i can just lay it over as hard as i want but yeah a lot of a lot of line skis were contending for that spot for my list yeah and we could give a shout out to the <clears throat> to the wider line pescado um yeah uh for many of the reasons that you've just said i mean it's a it's a fatter sakana uh in a lot of ways so i think for my last ski again i'm probably not coming up with the definitive top four poppiest skis ever but i did want to give a shout out to the Folsom primary 110 this blister edition that some of you remember we made it was the predecessor to the blister hammer which is maybe the least poppy ski ever made (laughs) might be the least poppy ski ever made when we were talking about typically if you're trying to design a poppy ski you want to give that ski positive camber mike mccabe at Folsom really wanted to show off just how poppy he could make a reverse camber ski and um so he kind of came up with the the primary 110 and i was like yo mike this isn't at all what i initially had in mind and then we went back and made the blister hammer of all the reverse camber skis we've made over the years to me this is definitely the poppiest reverse camber ski we've ever made now luke what say you on this yeah i mean i i wouldn't say the the primary stood out among all skis as particularly poppy but yeah of the reverse camber skis i've tried i would say it's that and the uh latest forefront devastator um which i don't think you've skied i haven't the old one was definitely not what i'd call poppy it was also like three or four hundred grams heavier per Uh ski um i'd say the new construction like it's not neither ski i would say produces a whole bunch of energy when you're coming out of a turn but if you really lean into the tips and tails that's where i think you can get the energy out of it um rather than flexing like the whole ski and feeling it underfoot if that makes any sense but yeah i would say that that primary is yeah probably the most energetic reverse camber ski i've been on okay now so that's kind of our mount rushmore but we did we've kind of alluded to this a bit but you kind of came up with a system of like trying to think about the poppiness of skis and you kind of came up with like there's skis that really excel at low speed pop or producing good energy at lower speeds then you kind of had mid-range pop as you called it it's like it's like english is your second language here. Uh, these were notes straight off my phone okay so well these aren't all of this section finalized is called version someday <laughs> well it's finalized now so on the end of the spectrum skis that really excel at producing good rebound and energy at pretty low speeds let's basically just name a couple of those we already alluded to that dps trainer or yep. the alchemist cassiar 79 what else stands out to you in that class uh ski that we just got on this year the black crows mirrors core um i mostly didn't have it in my mount rushmore because i need to spend more time on it and mostly in firm conditions but that like 
I mean, that's another ski that's like nothing I've skied before. Um, super tight radius, like a pretty centered mount point, um, which is odd. Deep rocker lines for an 80, I think it's 87 underfoot or something like that. Twin tail, split tail, very odd. And the thing that stood out immediately was like, I could bend it super easily. What's weird is if you go and hand flex it, it's tips and tails aren't, aren't that soft. I think it's the fact that you can bend the ski all the way through it basically. And you can just feel the whole thing bending around your boots. Um, so in that sense, it is really easy to bend and get rebound out of at minimal inputs. It's also like, I noticed it in bumps, like the tail would just like launch you if you got real far back on it, which could be fun and could be a little challenging at times. Um, but mostly I just want to spend some more time on it. Um, another one that very narrowly missed the list was the line Sir Francis Bacon, the latest version that is quite soft. Um, and that one is one where if you're going fast or you're putting all your weight into the ski, some would describe it as feeling a bit like a wet noodle, especially if you're a larger individual, because it's not going to push back against you a whole bunch. But if you're skiing it more centered and taking it easy, then it feels really energetic. And also while carving, it's another ski that like the whole thing bends around your boot pretty easily. Um, so those were two very obvious choices for me in that category. And then the last one was the old ripstick 96, um, which for the ones we skied felt significantly softer and more easier going than the 106. Um, I haven't skied the latest version of the 96, but that ski kind of made me think of like a, like a super lightweight line blade that doesn't have as weird of a shape, but just really easy to engage and bend at slow speeds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only, yeah, I have the DPS trainer in that class with the sick day 104. Would you put that in the low speed pop or mid mid range pop? For me, I'd throw it in the middle. Yeah, I think um, I would too. Especially because, like, especially compared to like a Sir Francis Bacon. Yeah. Like, particularly through the back half, the sick day feels a lot more supportive and like you can push it a bit harder and keep getting energy out of it yeah. um, rather than it kind of like stop. It's certain skis aren't going to keep pushing back at a certain right. point they give up on you yeah yeah okay so that will segue us into the mid-range and so we'll put out the sick day 104 as slotting into that category what else do you want to put in that category um that's where i'd say the the ripstick 106 falls um i'd also include the elan wingman 86 cti which we re reviewed this year much narrower different ski but yeah, I'd, I'd say it's bordering on low speed, especially if you're a larger person. Um, like when we were just bombing groomers um, at the beginning of the season, I was like consistently surprised by how much energy it produced when I was really carving it. But as we got it all over the mountain later in the season, it, it wasn't like I it wasn't like it was folding up on me in basically any scenarios. The other ski that comes to mind is the season Nexus, which in my mind is a bit like, well, a lot like a uh, line Sir Francis Bacon that's a bit heavier and a bit stiffer. And so it makes sense that it doesn't, it can take a bit more speed and feel, or kind of requires a little bit more speed to feel as energetic as, as the bacon. Okay. 
And then you have the blade in here. Yes. I, I think you and I disagree on this one. Yeah, and this pr- might come down to skiing styles, but I think last year I would have put it in the low speed, but I spent, this was my like uh, uh, cheater ski in, in that like, it was a ski that I was taking out when I was giving myself a day off from reviewing other skis, especially in the late spring. And I was pretty blown away by how much fun I was having on it all over the place and skiing quite hard. Um, and I think maybe it comes down to me just adapting to the sort of stance it it prefers when you are skiing it very fast. Because if you do just really lean into its shovels, um, and especially if you're a bigger person than I am, I could see you more categorizing it as a ski that's fun at low speeds. Um, but skiing it like kind of centered, kind of forward, I could push it a lot harder than I expected and it was still producing a lot of energy. Okay. Yeah. And honestly, I think this, and this is not necessarily a good thing, but I think that, I don't know if it's fair to say that, like, I was about to say, like, given that I spend a decent amount of time on like heavier, stiffer skis, a lot of time, I feel like I probably cheat like I'm I'm maybe weighting the heels more like when I'm in a turn to try to really load those skis up and that blade doesn't want you like you don't load the blade by being on your like heels well you can it's I just like a very ta- different that tail doesn't want to that tail doesn't get way in the back seat <laughs> and then you can carve it but yeah yeah if you if you're like starting like properly carving a turn i guess <laughs> weird and then and then try and get on yeah. the, the heels i could see that washing out because the, the, the thing with the blade is its tails are a lot narrower than the tips yeah so they kind of designed it to be yeah. able to wash out but yeah if, especially in soft snow if you like really steer from your heels like a <laughs> snowboarder like imagining a snowboarder doing a heel side turn yeah then you can carve it like that and it's really fun <laughs> you heard it here first get luke coppa says get more back seat people yeah <laughs> Yeah, in terms of the other skis I had mentioned, Folsom Primary 110, I would put in the mid-range, not yeah, the... Yeah, okay. I think that's accurate. Okay. All right, we're moving on to the high-speed energy category. Skis that excel at their ability to produce a lot of pop at high speeds. What do you got? Yeah, and I, for all of these, I also kind of equate it high speed or high forceful input from the skier. A lot of loading. Yeah, um, and with that in mind, this is one where I think the ON3P construction is generally what I'd considered in this category. Most notably, I felt it in the Jeffrey 108, the old version before they got a little bit lighter. It is not a ski that I would call energetic at low speeds or when you're not really focusing on bending it, especially because it's pretty hard to bend. It's a stiff ski. It doesn't have much side cut as a forward mount point. But like I suck at butters still, but trying them on that ski was super interesting because it's not like a bacon where you can just kind of lean into the the front of the ski or the back of the ski and it all of a sudden starts bending. Instead, you're using the rocker, like the contact point in the rocker profile, like a lever basically. And once you can do that, you can get a lot of weight over it. And then the amount of energy and snap it produces when you're able to do that and actually bend it was probably unlike anything else i've skied but it's so different in that like it's a very yeah it requires a lot of effort to do that 
Um, and it does not feel energetic unless you're really focusing on doing that. Okay. This is when I talk about that Nordica Helen back. And honestly, I might be pretty tempted to put it at the very top of this high speed poppy winning skis category. I never was able to get going so fast where I was like, the ski's now giving out on me. Just the faster you're going, the more you're getting mm-hmm. launched to the moon on that ski. So um, yeah, I, I would put that very high up on the list of skis I've ever skied. So I think that kind of takes out my Mount Rushmore skis. Anything else in this high speed category you want to single out i would say several of the moment skis i've skied in the past few years would fall into that category they don't i think in probably in large part because their moment generally makes skis that are very stiff through the cambered portion of them or the basically the middle of them they tend to not have tight side cut radii tend to have a pretty significant amount of tip and or tail rocker Um, so none of those things tend to make skis poppy, but I think once you get them up to speed or you similar to the Jeffrey put in the effort to really bend, uh, the ends of them, then I think they produce a lot of energy. So yeah, it's just a a different, different kind of category. Um, I would say the original moment commander 98, Mm -hmm. I would say that's more in like the mid range pop, um, which is ironic because it was, a lot more tapered than the latest one, but it's also a lot lighter. I believe it had a tighter radius and maybe a little bit softer. Um, but that ski I felt like was more lively at, at mellower speeds. One more ski I want to ask about at least is the Black Crow's Camox. Dylan Wood came into HQ just before we started recording and we asked Dylan, like, what's the poppiest ski you've been on in the last couple of years and he noted the camox what do you think about that yeah i think i I definitely agree i I think it is probably a ski that would always be in this conversation for me i i found it a bit less poppy than i expected but still like really energetic overall yeah and i'm not sure exactly what it was maybe it was because of the flex pattern or or what maybe it's the slightly longish radius for a ski of that style but yeah it it didn't quite crack my top four but Mm -hmm. i think that's always going to be a ski that comes up when we talk about energy would you put it in the mid-range or high high speed i think i'd say mid-range but man that's a ski that even at high speed i i don't feel like it gives up no and yeah i think part of it on on groomers, which is where I often notice the energy of a ski, it doesn't doesn't bend as easily or right. pull you into a turn as easily as some of the other skis that yeah. we've been talking about. Yeah, it's a little bit more Helen backy in that way. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, pretty different in every other aspect, but yeah. <laughs> Any honorable mentions you want to talk about? I think the Liberty Origin series yeah. as a whole. Um they, I, it's been a little while, or I guess I was on the new 101 this, uh, this season, but they didn't quite make it to the very top, but all of them are energetic and I think ski really well for how light they are. Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of think of those skis whenever I think of 
fairly energetic skis. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing with them is the Helix 98, which was a very similar construction to the Origin series and very similar overall to the Origin 96. I did not find that ski very poppy, and a few of our other reviewers agreed. I've heard the opposite from some people, especially park skiers, um, but that was just an interesting comparison um, that otherwise the two the, those two skis felt really similar, but the Helix seemed to be the exception um, from Liberty's construction in terms of poppiness for me. Any final words, thoughts? I think just, yeah, let us know what you think. Obviously, this one is a is a tricky one because certain skis feel very different um, in this regard yeah. uh, to different people. Um, if we didn't talk about your favorite one, uh, I guess I'm sorry, but two... <laughs> You don't need to be angry in the comments. We'd just like to hear what you think and and why. Um, I think some people get very offended uh, when we don't when we don't talk about their skis. But yeah, I'd like to hear what you think. And um, I'm sure, especially with my answers, I'm sure there's some recency bias involved. Um, so I'm curious, especially about like skis from a little while back, um, which ones stood out to all of you. Yeah, let us know, folks. And on that note, Luke. Let's talk about what we're celebrating this week. What are you celebrating this week? Um, I'm celebrating kind of things that, well, it's one specific thing, but things that seemed at first like they were going to suck, but then had unforeseen upsides. And mine's really specific. The past few weeks, there's been uh, World Cup downhill races in Europe, which means the live feed starts at somewhere between like 5 and 6 a.m. our time. Um, And both times, I haven't really planned on watching it. I was just going to watch the replay. But I think two or maybe for both World Cups and Crankworks, I got a text from someone at like 6 a.m. that woke me up that at first annoyed me, but then I remembered the race was on. So I got to catch like, I think I caught the last 30 riders for all three races live, um, which was cool to see. Wow. Yeah. So, how are you summing this up in terms of what you're celebrating? Things I'm celebrating that... early morning texts that <laughs> wake you up and you, I don't know. <laughs> wow, you don't, you can't even articulate what you're celebrating. Things that initially suck but then turn out to be positives. Sure. I mean, mostly I'm excited to be watching uh, mountain bike racing again. Yeah. But, yeah figured that was a more interesting take on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We should probably celebrate the fact that Reese Wilson is in one piece. First, we should celebrate what an amazing run he was on. And then it was equally amazing when he just took flight mm-hmm. <laughs> like a beautiful eagle. Yeah. If I wasn't awake at that point, that that run <laughs> definitely woke me up. <laughs> yeah. That was something else. Um, and, and celebrating that uh, Thibaut Deprella is also in one piece technically i think his tongue is still sewn together Dude, that's so crazy <laughs> yeah the fact that he was able to win is amazing yeah with like a stitched together tongue and two black eyes Dude. at home <laughs> Dude. uh this week i am celebrating the fact that i've got an upcoming trip um i'm actually heading out to sun valley uh i think on like the 16th and um i've never been out there I have some friends in the area and I'm looking forward to seeing them and getting to see this place. And um, we're actually 
we are uh, have kind of partnered with the Sun Valley Wine Auction. This is an event that's been going on for like 40 years or maybe 40 years plus, and it's a fundraiser for the Center for the Arts in Sun Valley, and um, it's really cool. It's like, hey, we're getting to support the arts and an arts center in a very cool place, and uh, so I'm going to be out there for that, and uh, you guys should check out the Sun Valley Wine Auction, and uh, if you aren't already familiar, and maybe there's still time to participate, but I'm not sure about that. You'll have to check it out, but anyway, looking forward to connecting with some old friends and some new friends out there, and uh, it's been a minute since I've like road tripped or gone anywhere, kind of feels like, so that'll be fun. And that is what I got. But Luke, no whistle pig right now because you're going to go ride bikes and I am going to go lift. I got cleared to uh, be getting back into some lifting. And then I think I'm, I'm not actually going to get on a bike, which I am technically allowed to do now, but I think I'm going to do some lifting and running. And then we're going to put out a review of these shoes I'm running in. Ah, cool. Yeah. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Any final thoughts, Luke? We learned that when making egg sandwiches, you should choose the more substantial sourdough bread. Yeah. You don't want the the, the, the low speed bread. The low speed. <laughs> you need the more substantial bread that can stand up to, to high inputs from the food you're putting on it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why you tune in to Gear 30 every week for insights like that. So let's wrap on that note, Luke. Pleasure as always. Luke Knoll, pleasure as always. And uh, this is Trey Elling signing out. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. It's also now 9.40 p.m. on Thursday the 8th. And so now I actually do have in my hand a glass of Whistlepig Farmstock Rye Whiskey. So, cheers to me. And I'm also going to raise my glass to those of you who are going to tell us about the poppiest skis that you have ever been on. Now, I also want to say thanks to Luke for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And of course, thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon.